Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a realm where business insights meet the personal touch. I'm your host, Malika, and you just tune into the exciting world of SuitUp. Hi, everyone. Today, I have invited James Millerick, who's a senior associate at JP Morgan, and is going to be an episode that is a bit different from what I usually do because I wanted to branch out and talk about different careers. So um, we're going to be talking to James about banking today, his career journey and tips on how to break through into the industry. Hi, James. Hi, Malika. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for agreeing to come on the episode. I just kind of want to preface with like, saying that it is so so impressive that you've been having experience in banking for since you were like 17. <laughs> so yeah, it's a long time already. 27 yeah, years old. It's been has it been like 10 years already? Yeah, it's actually just over 10 years. Um oh, all wow. in, in a number of roles, but for the last sort of 10 years it's been more so investment banking side as opposed to banking. Mm-hmm. So, um, could you just kind of give a little rundown of you, like your experience? Did you start with banking and then go into like more investment banking? Yeah, I suppose my my background's quite different, quite strange. Some would say. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I'd always been um keen to get a job even throughout my school days. Um. I wasn't the most academic student at school. I was always keen to sort of get on the ladder and start making money. Um, <laughs> I decided that I would choose a career and a hobby or an interest um, that I enjoyed. And at that time, when I was sort of 16 years old, that hobby was um, exercising and going to the gym. Mm-hmm. I actually started working in a gym at a local leisure centre. Um, I worked there until I completed my school days. Um, and at the age of 17, I started to look for a full-time career. Um, the way it worked at the gym at the time, it was sort of contractual shifts. I wanted something more full-time, nine to five, um, that I could start to build a career on. So I applied for different banking jobs, which was a complete different avenue of career for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no actual reason as to why I wanted to apply for a banking role. Um, but doing some research, it seemed to be a lucrative career. There was plenty of options. Um, as you know, there's many departments and internal workings of a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied for a job with um, Arclays Bank. Um, the way the job worked was it was a sort of entry-level role where you'd be dealing with banking customers. Um, and as part of the interview process, they actually had just opened a position at Barclays Stockbrokers. So I suppose I landed quite lucky that they were quite keen to put me forward for a role in stockbrokers as opposed to the retail bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started at Barclays Stockbrokers in 2014, um, where it was sort of a, a role dealing with clients that were calling to place trades on the London Stock Exchange. It's more the execution side that's known as nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, where clients give their instruction to place trades, you go ahead and place the trade. Um, you explain different corporate action events. 
um, dividend events, company takeovers, these sorts of things. Um, so really, that was my first step in the door to banking. It's kind of interesting that you said that you wanted to get a job that's sort of like, um, you know, this big job, like nine to five, because I think a lot like now there's kind of a shift against that. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but did the did the first job that you do at Barclays, did it kind of um, like motivate you to go further into banking and commit to it? Um, and did you start having like a more solid career plan at that stage? Yeah, so I suppose for me, because I'd shifted like so much from health and fitness to working in a bank, it was a huge sort of um, shift for me. I had no idea what to expect. I had no true interest in banking at the time, but it really opened my eyes when I got that role um, and I started working at the bank. I started to see the sort of money that was coming in and out daily from the clients trading and I realised that it was actually a lot to learn um, in sort of banking and stockbroking. Like there's, there's so many different avenues of study from mm -hmm. sort of corporate action events to companies getting taken over. These really excited me and it gave me something to research as to why these companies were doing it. So I suppose it sort of paved my own career, like starting work at stockbrokers. Um, mm -hmm. And it really didn't feel like a normal job where you come in and you have a set list of tasks to do per day. Um, it was more so... Your day could change in the drop of a hat if there was a economic announcement which influenced the markets. If a stock crashed or a stock rallied, it could completely change how busy you were for that day. So it was an exciting place to be. I think that's what kept me motivated right from day one. So where did you, like, what was the next step in your career after um, your, you know, first job in Barclays? Yeah, so at Barclays, um, I stayed there for a total of almost five years, or around five years. Mm -hmm. um, I did work in a number of roles at Barclays, so I started in stockbrokers. I decided I'd like to um, learn a bit more about what the bank had to offer. So I looked for some positions internally. Um, I then worked in personal investment management, still at Barclays. Um, but this was a, it was a promotion. It gave me the autonomy to look after a case book of clients as opposed to the clients calling me. So I had two to three hundred clients, which I sort of maintained a relationship with. Um, so these clients, they would, I would speak to them on a regular six monthly basis, discuss what sort of changes to their personal circumstances had happened. Were they coming up for retirement? Were they having kids? Were they buying a house? Did they need money for X, Y and Z? So that, that gave me a sort of um, step in the door to discuss um, people's reason for investing and people's how, how did they build and acquire wealth. So it gave me the other side, I guess, to what I was doing previously at Barclays. Um, mm. After that role, I moved on to a senior role back in stockbrokers. So I went sort of full circle. And um, the senior role gave me more autonomy to sort of trade staff roll out new procedures and processes and I started to realise that is the way I strived was making things better than they were the day before. So I started to make different procedures that 
actually benefited the business from a cash standpoint, started to generate income, but also it made the job easier for the staff that were actually doing the job daily. And um, that's when I realised that that was the sort of path that I wanted to go on, like going, going into the future of banking at the time. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, investment banking, um, you know, being a stockbroker, it's known to be such a fast paced job. And like you said, it's not really, it's not like you do the same tasks every single day. There's lots of fluctuations depending on the various like economic factors and market fluctuations. And so did you find that to be challenging? Was it something that, uh, you felt like pressured you at some moments in your career? I would say yes. Yeah, absolutely. The It was a challenge. But I think the the main thing that stood out to me was how exciting it was. So like, mm-hmm. what I didn't want to do was embark in a career where it was a nine to five, albeit I was looking for that in the beginning. I just wanted a set job that would pay a set amount of money with some career prospects. But for me, the excitement of having that change daily and knowing that there's so many factors that influence how a stock market operates, um, that, 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 that's what sort of made the job really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And also, I wanted to kind of touch up on the point that you said um, that you went, you know, from having your first job at 16 to working um, in a bank, so did you not pursue like further education after? Yeah, so for me, yeah, yeah. after school, I was sort. I'm sure can, a lot of people can relate to this, but at school, I didn't really tee up or manage to. I didn't really know what, what career path I wanted to take. I knew I wanted to make some money. I wanted to do that soon. I knew that university was going to take up. A chunk of the next four years or so, we would need to work part-time jobs or look for jobs on the side as well as studying. For mm-hmm. me, that was never really an option. Um, I did apply for a university course, but the course that I was applying to was to study sports science at the time. It was not financial related. So what, what, what I had done instead of university was took my own sort of courses. So as I was working at the gym at the time, I had studied a private course to become a gym instructor, personal trainer. So I went down that route. And ultimately, for me, I had weighed up after four years studying a sports science course, what sort of career options are available to me. And it's sort of always tied back to being a personal trainer, gym instructor, fitness, health, like a health coach. Mm-hmm. And for me, you could skip these four years by doing these courses and managing to secure a role. The course that I had done was a CUIQ level two. And um, upon completing that, you were eligible to work in a gym. So mm-hmm. for me, I was always looking for different avenues of how can I, how can I get ahead? How can I skip and how can I earn sort of money as soon as possible and start to build that career? Um, for me, at that point as well, as I say, I was not sure what career choice I wanted to go down, but I knew it wasn't university, Yeah. which I, th- I think at the time, and maybe still happens, I think quite a lot of people feel that you complete school, university is the next step, and that's 
the natural option that you take when you finish your school. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of days, so. Do you think, though, that... Because I think a lot of roles nowadays, they do require, um, you know, like degree either like a university degree do you think it is more challenging to break through um without it and do you think it is like necessary or do you think it's fine and actually can be an advantage if you don't yeah so i i think that it certainly brings its own difficulties um to give you an idea any finance rule or investment banking rule that i've ever applied for on the application it says required a bachelor a bachelor's degree as a minimum i i don't have that and it's never stopped me from applying for a role mm-hmm. um i've managed to secure a number of roles over candidates with degrees um in finance degrees in economics mathematics for me i, th- I think what what helps um is my age how many years experience I've got in this sort of field. Um, but as well, I've done a lot of interviews in my time now already. Um, I've interviewed at most major banks. I've interviewed a number of rounds at most major banks. So I think that it comes with experience. The more you sort of get yourself in the position, the more you can sort of strive in an interview situation and showcase what you have to offer over somebody that does have a degree or somebody that does have more experience than you. So it's, I, I always see it as an opportunity to sort of showcase what you can do as opposed to thinking about these other applicants that have degrees or higher education or more experience than you. Yeah, so I I think it's very interesting because um it's really like a really good skill to be able to, you know, showcase your skills and just kind of get your foot in the door. Um, so would you have any advice for anyone who's like trying to break into it and they're writing applications and how to stand out? Because I understand that these like big banks and companies, they have so many applicants and it's very hard to be that one person that they hire yeah absolutely yeah i i think that's that's probably the most nervous part of actually sort of applying for a job in finance is you you know what's ahead of you you know there's a number of role there's only one role sorry but there's a number of rounds ahead of you in order to secure that role and the first hurdle that you have to go through is how do you stand out in an application for me you sort of touched on it there what I was missing right from the office, the chances are if you have 500 CVs and 200 of them don't have a degree when you're asking for a degree, is it just going to be put to one side? Potentially, in a number of cases, if you've got a lot of sort of applications coming in, you need to churn through the numbers. You're not going to look at every single application. So for me, the CV is extremely important. You mm-hmm. really need to stand out, do something different in your CV. For me, going back as far as the sort of gym rule that I had, something that I did outside the box is I managed to secure an interview. But on the same weekend, I went to the leisure centre and I had asked um, the on-site duty manager 
could you show me around the place? So for me, luckily, I, I, I did get shown around the place, but what that allowed me to do is at the interview, I could showcase that I had went outside the box. I had arranged for a meeting. I had went that one step further that you can almost guarantee nobody else has done in that interview situation. So mm-hmm. I think what's important is make sure your CV is up to date, concise, it contains accurate information, but also it needs to stand out. The way you can stand out is have, I think, if you're applying for an investment banking position, how do you stand out against the other candidates? Well, you could reach out to different individuals. You may have success with this, you may not. They already work in the field. You could ask them a few questions. Tell me a bit about the interview sort of experience that you've had at the company that you're working at at the moment. Start to build a profile. Start to understand what the interviews look like and um, how they manage to secure it. LinkedIn is a really powerful tool these days as well. The benefit of LinkedIn is you can see everyone's work history and their experience. So you can see sort of someone's path, how they progress from one institution to another. There's a lot of traits that come alongside these. So I think, yeah, standing out in applications, that's your number one. And the way you do that is thinking outside the box in simple terms. And so uh, you mentioned that when um, you kind of have to show open-mindedness and proactiveness and after what would be like your tips when you progress to the interview stage and specifically like answering the questions that they ask you, maybe competency questions or questions on, you know, your experience, um, why you want to uh, work at the company. So how would you approach that? Yeah, so I, I think the interview stage is the most exciting part. Personally, I love I really enjoy interview situations and I know a lot of people don't feel the same way about interviews. Um, For me, I think the most important thing that you need to remember when you're in an interview situation is the person interviewing you was in your position at some point. Now, when I'm interviewing people, the first thing that's on the back of my mind, which I think a lot of people forget, is that we're hiring somebody that we need to work with at some point. So it may not be, you could be the most academic person in the world, but if you do not come across personable and somebody that would be enjoyable to work with, that would listen, that would take on a lot of your sort of training, your points, your points of view, if you come across argumentative, these sort of traits, that's the first step that a lot of people maybe neglect. Like we, we need to work with you at some point. So that's the first thing that we are looking out for is could I work with this person? Before we even get into the sort of ins and outs of a CV, we discuss your experience. That's that's the number one point. As far as the experience um, goes, when you're in that interview situation, you must make sure that you relate to the role that you're applying for. So hopefully you have some relevant experience that you could showcase. Um, the way that I would always work all answers for competency-based questions is via the STAR format, so your situation, task, action, response. Um, I always add in an additional step when I'm in a, answering an interview question, um, and that, that additional step is actually your thoughts and feelings. So 
every time between your situation, ask action response, add in thoughts and feelings, tell them why you thought this situation sort of arised, tell them what impact that could have to the, the institution, when you detail your action points, again, why, like, talk about your thoughts and feelings. The reason that you're doing this is the other side of the the table. The interviewer is looking at a sheet that needs to tick off a lot of boxes. These boxes must show that you have these feelings to say there's financial risk, there's um, business risk, there's operational risk, and there's potential uh, loss of business to the, the company. If you can showcase these thoughts and feelings outside of the the interview question itself, you're going to get bonus points. So I would say that that's probably the most major way to answer an interview question. I think a lot of people are too quick to just answer the question as it is. You should always structure your answer. Think about your thoughts and feelings. Why are you doing this in the first place? What made you think of it? What is, what is the desired outcome for everyone? Then at the end of your interview question, always give a recap. This is how it ended up. This is the impact that this made. It, it sort of tidies it up and brings it all to a close quite nicely. I think that's really important in an interview. Do you have any techniques of practicing for interviews? Or do you think you just kind of have to go for it all the time? You know, attend as many interviews as you can and then it develops into a skill. Um, because I think, as you mentioned, you have to structure your answers very nicely and have um, a strategy going in. But I, it is quite difficult to think quick on your on your feet. So, do you? What's your like advice for that? Yeah. So I, I suppose the way that I do it personally, that this may not be for everyone, right? But. In an interview situation, realistically, you're going to get asked, let's say, four questions in the first round of an interview. It may be two or three rounds, depending on where you apply. Your first four questions, for me, can be shaped in any way, asked in any situation. No matter what that is, I'll have an example that's completely able to fit the bill for any questions that can be asked. So with your competency, competency questions, you'll be familiar that the they usually come under a certain framework. So it's either going to be effectiveness to the business, it's going to be control, um, it could be excellence, it could be about service, like all of these. They're all sort of interlinked. So when you're answering these questions, detail some examples like, that are really transferable to any sort of question. So for me, if I was asked a question, that's one example it could be used for control. Example, it could be used for the business example, be used for excellence example. So you don't need to think of multiple, a hundred different examples, just think of a couple of really good ones that could be fine tuned, moved around slightly so that it fits the question that you're getting asked in the interview. Because nobody's prepared for all outcomes, all questions. And um, as much research as you do, and as many questions as you rehearse, you never know what they're going to ask you on the day. So if you have a transferable sort of answer, that will always help you in the interview situation. What do you think would kind of um, 
constitute as a good example? Um, do you take it from your work experience or can you also uh, tie in your personal sort of personal experiences that might not be related to your work? What type of example do you like to see? For me, I I always I can't I can't talk too specific, but for for a lot of the examples I use, I, I have the benefit now, right? That I've I've built up a wealth of experience in the field that I'll be applying to. So I have a number of different examples that I can pull on from different banks that I've worked at before. But yeah, by all means, you can you can always speak about personal circumstances and personal achievements that you've done that you feel fit the bill. Um, I, I recall in, a, in an interview before, I, I've definitely spoke about times where I've publicly spoke, um, where I've spoke to young school leavers looking for opportunities after school, but don't want to go down the typical route of university. As long as you can structure that answer and it's relevant to the question, there's absolutely no problem with giving a personal answer. As well, if you think from an interviewer's perspective, they probably hear the same or similar example 10 times a day if they're doing multiple interviews back to back. If you can show something that's completely different, show a bit of personality, show them something that you do outside of the workplace, I, I would say that comes across really well. You don't want to show off that you're, you're always keen to do something outside of the office, but if you have an example that covers all bases to the question that you're asked, yeah, a, a personal personal answer, a personal achievement comes across great in an interview. Okay. That's, I, I actually agree with that. I think it's um, when you kind of think about it from the perspective of the interviewer, they've heard so many polished answers from, you know, the same yeah. experiences. <laughs> I guess moving on from the interview uh, tips. You also, in our conversation, mentioned like reaching out to people on LinkedIn. And I just wanted to talk about a bit about the power of building those professional relationships. And if that can also help you, you know, get your foot in the door, start out your career. And how do you kind of have that networking strategy as well? Absolutely. So LinkedIn is a really powerful tool. I mentioned before, it's, it's great. Personally, I use LinkedIn most days, if not every day. And that's actually how we ended up talking in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, this pod for this podcast. Um, building your network is absolutely crucial if you want to get a career in finance, certainly. Um, I know the same for a few colleagues that have different backgrounds, like law backgrounds as well. A lot of recruiters are just using LinkedIn these days. To give you an idea, I get job offers very often via LinkedIn and quite a few of the roles that I've had in the past have actually started from conversations via LinkedIn. It's very rare now that I actually do an application like directly to a firm. Usually somebody reaches out on LinkedIn, we have a conversation, we discuss what we're actually, what sort of roles interest me what my experience is, and then you're sort of paired to roles available at the firm that they're recruiting for. As well, if you think of it the other way, these recruiters, if you go from the external recruiters, they want your business because if they get you in the door at the firm they're recruiting for, 
that's how they get their fee. That's how they get their commission. Mm-hmm. So I would say in 2023, LinkedIn is an excellent tool uh, uh, where you can allow sort of other people to fight your corner for you. It's not to say you can sit back, relax, and let a recruiter do all the work. You're going to need to build a profile. That doesn't also mean going around LinkedIn looking for anyone with the title recruiter for finance and just adding them all and messaging them all. They're going to get a lot of messages daily. Sometimes it's better just to make valuable connections or anyone you've worked with in the past, your sort of university colleagues. Have these people on LinkedIn. You can quite easily build up connections. The more connections you have, the more people will put you in touch with the right people if you're looking for a new role. Um, and yeah, the messages start to flood in, trust me. Um, <laughs> there's not a day that goes by where you don't get a couple of messages. On the flip side of that, I mentioned earlier that there's no harm in reaching out to people on LinkedIn and asking them for their advice and career advice. And if they're a similar age to you and they've got a wealth of experience or they're, they're in a field that you have an interest in, there's no harm in messaging them. Maybe they'll ignore you. Maybe you won't get a response, but you might get a response or the odd response from the odd person. So there's no harm in trying. And um, you never know as well. A lot of these times, I always think as well when people message me on LinkedIn, if I have the time, I'll always respond, but it's not always possible. But you never know. You could be working with that person at some point in the future. And it, it does happen. So if you get off on the wrong foot, it could be your boss one day. <laughs> I always remember that. that. That's one thing that stands out to me. Yeah, I think it's really important to have a good impre- like first impression and just be able to um, build those quality kind of relationships um, because yeah. it's, I realize that everyone knows each other, especially when you start, I guess, working more. I mean, I wouldn't know yet, but I do think <laughs> that you kind of run into a lot of people you worked with before. So I guess that could also apply to uh, getting your first job as well like absolutely yeah yeah um but i think i uh asked all the questions i wanted to ask you um mm-hmm. i don't know if there's anything that you wanted to cover as well that i didn't mention um and yeah i, I suppose some resources that make oh, it yeah. useful for for yeah, yeah. So, so, some resources that i find useful um daily is keep up to date with the world news quite an easy one know what's going on certainly if you fancy a career in finance investment banking you're going to need to know what's going on in the world all of these major events that are happening in the world at the moment they have a crucial impact and a huge impact on the markets they play a big part in the pricing of instruments you see the bond markets not doing so well at the moment inflation's gone through the roof you need to know what's going on in the world. Like one of the most important things, I would say, in finance is is to have some sort of idea as to what impact these economic and environmental issues can have on pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say as well, if you're part of a university group, you probably have better resources than I had, um, for studying and looking at different, um. Sorry, having having different sort of newsletters and different 
um, subscriptions, maybe the Financial Times. Use these. Don't just subscribe to them and never look at them again. Even put notifications on your phone, you'll get some headliners daily that you can refer to. You can start to chat about them in the office. You can start to chat about them in university. Quite often in interview situations as well, you might get asked these kind of out-of-the-blue questions. They are designed to throw you off. But if you have some kind of idea and you can reference that you have a, like a sort of idea of what's going on in the world, that will really benefit you. And so I think that's really important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's very valuable. I mean, in law, at least, we're always kind of told to be commercially aware and mm-hmm. just keep up with um, the trends and whatever's going on because that really makes you stand out if you yeah. can talk about it, if you can provide uh, your own point of view on it. Um, I think that really kind of gives you the bonus points. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sets you aside from others. I think that's important. Um, a lot of the times you, you apply for a role, you do see candidates that are just wanting a job at the end of the day. They, they know finance pays pretty well. So they want to get a career in that field, but quite a lot of people are not born hungry where they want to stand out. They want to sort of get ahead, set yourself apart from other candidates, other applicants. But yeah, I can't say it's easy to do, but there's plenty of resources in 2023 that you can utilize to really help drive your application, really help set you aside from everyone else. And um, so you can develop that skill, that trait. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, thank you so much for our conversation today. Uh, no, I think no. it, was, it was very valuable. Um, definitely going to apply all the advice that you gave. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I did, yeah. Thanks very much for having me. That was great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Not a problem. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Big thanks to our guests for joining us. I'm sure our listeners soaked up some awesome insights. Your thoughts and feedback mean the world to us, so if you're eager to contribute, leave a review or drop your suggestions for upcoming episodes. Join the Suit Up community on LinkedIn where your insights can shape the future of our discussions. And before you go, remember that a guest-curated list of recommendations will be waiting for you in the episode description and on our LinkedIn page. So until next time, keep those ambitions high, dream higher, and remember, the journey to success is always better when you suit up.